Mac Power Users, episode 529, The State of the Mac, 2020. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good, David. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I uh, Well, I guess that's a relative term. Given the way things are going right now, I'm doing pretty good. Okay. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to talking about the Mac today. We got a lot of content. You know, we're doing the state of shows this mm-hmm. year. We've finally got to the Mac, you know, the, the, the device after which this show is named. Um, but the, uh, we got a lot to talk about the Mac, about where the hardware and the software is and where it's heading in the future and what we like and don't like. But I thought before we got started, um, we should, we do have a few preliminary announcements. Um, this week, Apple, in addition to releasing new Macs that we'll talk about in the content of the show, they also released a new iPad Pro, um, a new keyboard, and they added some real cool features to the iPad OS. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, that one is worthy of uh, of coverage on MPU, so we're, that's going to be the last segment today. I wanted to point out uh, something Stephen's doing over at his site, and as I mentioned earlier, things are rough right now for a lot of folks. Stephen wanted to bring a little joy to the world, so he made a Mac Madness contest. It's uh, you'll find it at 512pixels.net slash madness. It's like March Madness, yeah. but for Macs, yeah. and it's cool. It's like bracketing, and you vote for your favorite Macs. And uh, every, I said every week that you hit another tier. Yeah, it's about every four or five days. So the, the thing will run through uh, the beginning of April. So as this episode comes out, there's still a week left. And, uh, you know, I, I think I missed basketball more than I wanted to <laughs> admit to anybody. I was like, what, what oh, can really? we do uh, that would be fun? And so, yeah, people are voting for their favorite Macs. And I understand, David, that you feel some guilt about one of the uh, round one picks. Oh, you sent me the night before you launched it. You sent me, you know, the the brackets, mm-hmm. and very quickly I made a screenshot for you. You want to describe that? Yeah, let me let me find this. It is uh, so you circled Mac SE thirty, and you just wrote for the win <laughs> under it. Yes, SE thirty for the win. You're picking your favorite Mac time. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that your favorite Mac should be the SE thirty, right? And mm-hmm. then I said, oh, I'm going to put up a blog post and make sure everybody goes and votes. And I'm probably going to pitch the SE30 in my blog post. Yeah. And then uh, last week, uh, you, as you may expect, um, for a lot of my legal clients, it was a tough week. Sure. And I didn't get as many blog posts up as I want. And then I looked in the very first round, the SE30 got knocked out. What what beat the SE30? Uh, let's look. The SE30 was beat by the 2012 to 2015 Retina MacBook Pro. Oh, you got to be kidding me. The percentage. Got, what? <laughs> the percentage is oh. 64.6% to 35.4%. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the people, I'm sorry. The, you know, the I'm people sorry. just do what the people do. Oh, so. Everybody get over to 512pixels.net in the madness. Vote, vote for the right, Max, please. Don't let this happen again. <laughs> Are you going to do one of these next year? Uh, I think so. So I have uh, a little uh, Apple Notes document of brackets I could do in the future. And so, yeah, yeah I think uh, I think I will. Are you ever going to do one where the SE30 is in contention again? <laughs> I need Maybe. to know. Maybe. I need to know that right now. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I, I, uh, I, I take blame for this, man. I didn't get that post up. But either way, uh, everybody go vote. It's kind of fun. Something to do. Uh, yeah. 
as you're sitting home, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, this is the Mac Power user. We want to talk about geeky Mac stuff. We never really talk about news. Even Apple news, we, we basically avoid, but real news, we almost always avoid. But we got to, you know, acknowledge this COVID-19 madness that the world is going through. And of course. our heart goes out to all of you that are are dealing with this. You know, there are folks out there who have loved ones dying uh, in my house. And my daughter can't, gra- her graduation's being canceled. I mean, it's just, it's crazy what we're all going through and, and we, uh, we feel you and we hope that, you know, the MPU content can help you out a little bit. One thing I wanted to share that we've been doing in my family is we started very quickly after we all got, you know, grounded at our homes doing a daily FaceTime call. And this is a FaceTime call that involves nephews and nieces and grandmas and grandchildren. It's a big call. And we're having a really good time doing this and kind of staying connected. If you didn't know how to do that, initiate a FaceTime call and then tap on the screen. You'll see four buttons on the bottom. It's the effects and the flip the camera button and all that stuff. But in addition to the leave app, you know, big um, a horizontal bar across the bottom, there's a small gray one at the top of those four buttons. If you just swipe up there, you can add people to the call. You can also initiate a call to multiple people. But um, if you've got Apple tech and you want to stay connected to your family, uh, this would be something that you should try right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're doing a lot of video calls, uh, you know, FaceTime, Zoom, Skype, you know, cause people all, use all different things, but uh, it's really, it's really been nice for our kids to, you know, my kids see their grandparents on a pretty regular basis. My wife and I are both from yeah. here. Right. So everyone's here. Like yeah. I'm mean, asking one of my parents, I feel like every, you know, at least once a week, if not more. And the kids have missed that. And so we've had some, some video calls and it is a nice way to stay connected and check in on people. And and the kids don't really understand why they can't go see grandma, especially if they live close. Cause they're used yeah. to seeing grandma and um, uh, this can help. So to so do that, I'll also share that with the folks in your life, because I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't listen to Mac power users that could use that information. The focused podcast is doing something interesting. Uh, we're going to uh, kind of break in our usual programming. The show that's going to release a few days after this one is just going to be about how me and Mike work at home. And if you're suddenly find yourself working at home, hopefully you can find a few tips in that. And uh, oh, I thought that was about it, but Stephen added something else here. Yeah. You mentioned on our just kind of talking beforehand yeah. that, you know, your, your family's all at home and that's made some changes in your home office and you made a confession to me about your yeah your 15 external monitors yeah now I, my, my external monitors are gone my my wife all of us are working from home so you know i've got two one in college one a senior in high school and all their schools are doing video learning um my one of my do- my college daughter is back home and we have turned the studio into a bedroom again mm-hmm. sort of but with all the monitors, it was kind of blocking out the sunlight, and that was no fun. And then my wife is also working from home, so she needed an external monitor. So I, I took the monitors off the iMac to accommodate the kids and my wife, and I admitted, you know, it's kind of nice. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I miss my data, but it is kind of nice having a little more sunlight in here. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's a little less of a a control center to launch a space shuttle is what you're saying. Yeah, that, that is it. But I don't know. I, I think ultimately, I don't know. We'll see how this all plays out, but at least for the, the short term, I'm, I'm monitorless. <laughs> the sacrifices we're making, Stephen. I know. What can I say? Mm-hmm. So today we're going to be talking about 
the Mac. So we've done this, like you said, the state of the platforms series, and uh, it is now time for the Mac. And I thought we could start by just sort of catching people up on where the Mac fits in for us. Uh, do you want to get started with that? Sure. I mean, the Mac has always been the platform I use the most with Apple. Um, it, it, you know, it's the thing that got me first started. I'm I'm old enough to remember, you know, computers before there was a graphical user interface. Spent a lot of time computing on the Atari 800 and the Apple II, and even before that, um, uh, some of the like the Tandy color computers and mm-hmm. you know everything that was uh, command line interface computers. So the very first graphical user interface I ever experienced was the Mac, and that was for me very much a revelationary moment, you know, to see a computer that was trying to help me out more. Hmm. And um, I think that's probably the reason I make this podcast is because it just blew my mind that much, something that happened back in 1980, whatever. And um, so I've always loved the Mac and it's, you know, it's my first kind of computing love and, and it was just so different from everything else. So fast forward to these days, um, I still sit at an iMac or a laptop many hours a day. I've got two businesses, you know, one is a lawyer and the other one is Max Sparky and both of them greatly benefit from a 27 inch screen. And, um, and the, the iMac on my desk still sparks joy the way that original Mac did. It's just such a glorious computer. Um, uh, the stuff that I, I can only feel like I do on a Mac is multiple documents. When, when I'm wearing my lawyer hat, a lot of times I'm working on transactions that have many documents and having multiple word files up on that 27 inch screen, make it really easy to compare things and just run so many windows at once. I mean, the iPad is great, but there are limits to what you can do. I mean, really, if you're pushing the interface to its maximum, you get three windows at once, never more. And sometimes I need more. Um, and then as Max Sparky, the audio recording stuff simply is not possible on the other platforms the way we do right. it. And, um, you know, I make a significant portion of my living making these tutorial courses, and that's all done on an iMac. Even when it's video that I take of an iPad or an iPhone, it's recorded into a Mac and all the editing and audio is done through an iMac. So um, this is the, the the primary machine I use. Uh, I still am a big fan of the iPhone and iPad and I use them a lot, but if the Mac was taken away, I'd be in trouble. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I came to the Mac a little bit uh, later than you did, but it is definitely the uh, the core of all of my work. So... While I can do things on the iPad, I just simply prefer the Mac. And and like you, I have a lot of tasks that are basically only, the way that I do them, really only manageable with Mac OS. But I like having, you know, multiple apps in view at once, Windows everywhere. You know, while I keep my desktop clean, my computing environment itself can be pretty messy. And I just find that I have a speed on the Mac that I just don't have on other platforms. And so even when... It's a task that I could do on iPad OS. I generally choose to do it on the Mac unless I just want a real break of scenery. Sometimes that's nice, right? Sometimes it's nice to take an iPad and go do some some writing somewhere. But most of the time, you know, if I'm in my studio or working outside of the house somewhere, it is it is on a Mac. And it is definitely my totally my daily driver, totally my preference. 
something that um, I didn't mention, it's kind of weird when I think about my daily setup, is that uh, even though I'm at this iMac most hours of the day that I'm working, I also have the large iPad underneath it hmm. on this uh, Surface stand. Yeah. And so it's kind of weird. I, now that I kind of think about it, I use the iPad all throughout the day as well. And it's got even easier now that um, I have a keyboard that I can switch between the two. Yeah, I bet. And, and also later we'll talk about it. I have a mouse now I can switch between the two. So I use that quite a bit too. But honestly, the most of the work takes place on the iMac. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just a, you know, it's, it's a great platform. There, We have an extended discussion planned for today's show about the hardware and the software. And there's, there's different, definitely things I want to talk about. It's not done by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's a lot of things that could get better, but this is where I make my living. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that really brings it home for me is the the customization you can do on the Macs. You know, we've had episodes about our menu bar apps and what's in the dock, and you have some of that on iPadOS and the iPhone, but just the ability to have things running in the background and, you know, glanceable information that's just huge to the way that so many of us work on the Mac. And there's not really an answer for some of that stuff on Apple's other platforms yet. And that's a, that's a contending thing too, right? Even if you could do the tasks elsewhere, maybe the efficiency brought on by things like the menu bar will keep you on the Mac. It's interesting because, you know, we've both been working on this outline now for quite a while. And I think you could easily summarize the show to say, the best and worst thing about the Mac is its legacy. Yep. That's really well said. Well, I guess you could stop listening now if you want, but <laughs> we do have more. 14 minutes. We, we have, did it. <laughs> <laughs> we do have more. A lot more. That's our thesis. Now let's see if we can prove it. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Clean My Mac. Make your Mac as good as new. Go to macpaw.com slash MPU. Clean My Mac X makes it easy to optimize your Mac and maintain its peak performance. It has a bunch of useful features like system junk removal module and space lens, which lets you see a size comparison of all your folders to detect those that take too much space. Clean My Mac X is one of the best investments you can make to get your old Mac work as good as new, and it's different from your average Mac optimization tool because it has real-time malware monitor, which works in the background scanning your Mac for potential threats and notifying you if anything is detected. And it's not just great for security stuff either. It's a great help when it comes to uninstalling apps from your Mac because it removes both app and its leftover data to help you avoid digital declutter. Clean My Mac X is notarized by Apple, so you know it's been checked by Apple for malicious components. And get Clean My Mac X today with a 30% discount at macpaw.com MPU. Man, Clean My Mac really saved my bacon in this last week. I had a little problem with my iCloud drive, which we're going to talk about in the next feedback show. I have so much to share with you about this problem, Stephen. But I (laughs) suddenly found myself with duplicate data on my drive and some other problems, and I was running out of drive space very quickly. I just booted up Clean My Mac X, and it really helped me figure out where the problems were and get them fixed without making me waste a whole day solving the problem. So get that 30% discount at macpaw.com slash mpu. That discount is only valid until April 4th, so don't wait. Go So go to macpaw.com slash MPU. And our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So let's talk about hardware 
And this this episode is perfectly timed. It's been on the calendar for months, but we have uh, finally a new MacBook Air with a new Magic Keyboard. Yeah, can you imagine how bad it would have been if we released this episode last week? Dude, I thought about that <laughs> for about two days. Because <laughs> the outline was uh, was kind of rough on the MacBook Air, and mm-hmm. now it's not. Um, so uh, why don't you explain the new MacBook Air for folks who haven't heard about it yet? Sure. So it is uh, still 13 inches, still right on the display, still two Thunderbolt ports, but two big improvements. One, they've brought the Magic Keyboard from the 16-inch MacBook Pro. So no more butterfly keyboard, hopefully uh, putting an end to all those problems people are having with keys getting stuck and broken and double entry, all that business. By all reports, the 16-inch MacBook Pro has held up just fine. So I think this sort of closes that chapter. It also has additional CPU options. So before this, the Retina MacBook Air only had one CPU option. And now you can do an i a dual-core i3 as the base model and quad-core i5 or i7 as upgraded uh, uh, options. So you have a better power range here. I think those those quad-core i7s in particular will be pretty quick, much better graphics. Um, but hugely, the base price is now just $999, $899 if you're in education. So if you've got that college student or somebody who's a teacher, you can get this now for $899. And I think all of that bundled together means that we finally, after after so long, there's like a default Mac notebook for everybody. And there's no real reason to upgrade past the air if you know that you unless you know you need more. I'm just so happy with this. Remember when the very first MacBook Air came out, the one with the space pod USB port that would drop oh, yeah. down? And then they came out with what became the classic MacBook Air, you know, the 13-inch mm-hmm. that was popular, the non-retina one. It feels like they got it right on the second iteration the first time around. I feel like exactly the same way with the retina. I mean, the first one <laughs> yeah. out w- was good, you know, and, and it was definitely a step in the right direction. But the second iteration, like, solves every problem, you know, that we had with the first one because the keyboard is fixed. You know, they've got they got off the butterfly. They've got the scissor switches. The price point got down to under a thousand dollars, which I think we needed. Um, and the CPU options, it just feels like yes, this is the one. And like you're right, because for so long it was easy for us nerds to recommend when someone said, "I need a laptop," you say get a MacBook Air unless you give me a really good reason for something more expensive. Mm-hmm. And um, now for a long time, I felt uncomfortable with that. And like, for me, it's really been a problem with our our house because my oldest daughter's laptop died. She doesn't have a laptop. She'd been working with my used iMac and an iPad for a couple, about a year and a half now. Um, and she wanted a new laptop, but I would refuse to buy one because I didn't want to get this keyboard. And my second oldest daughter, my high school daughter, is on the first generation 12-inch MacBook. Oh, boy. Where the shift key works sometimes, <laughs> and sometimes yeah. it doesn't, you know. So my kids have been on terrible laptops for over a year, but cheap dad refuses to do anything because I just didn't trust the keyboards. And so I can tell you that I have now used one of these laptops because I bought two of them. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Big, big week in Sparks household. Yeah, the kids are real happy. Well, you know, I promised this to them a long time ago. And it's even harder now because of this COVID thing. All their home learning stuff, some of it doesn't work on iPad. 
you know, because of the yeah. various technologies in use. So they needed laptops and I told them whenever they fix the keyboard, I'll fix it. And man, they told me about the new uh, MacBook Airs before I knew about them. And I'm Mac Sparky. <laughs> we have a text message thread where I give them advice how to bother you. Oh, is that? Is that <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, it was an expensive day, but sure. You know, and, and it's kind of funny because it's the first time my kids have ever got new computers. <laughs> they, they've always just oh, got yeah. whatever I was done with, you know, but, but yeah, anyway, so we, we bought two. I bought the set. I bought actually because I told both of them, one of them starting college, one of them starting graduate school. I said, you know, this is it guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, make it last, you know, yeah. you're going to have a job the next time you buy a computer. Sure. How, <laughs> and, how did uh, you spec them? I just bought the second tier. Um, okay. I, I felt like I know that 256 gigabyte isn't going to be enough. And also there was a substantial processor improvement. Yeah. And uh, so it added money, but, you know, I figured I wanted to last them. Yeah. I mean, the last MacBook Air we had, you know, the 13-inch, you know, variety in the house lasted like eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's a good run. Yeah, it is. And I, I kind of expect that from this computer. I mean, the keyboard's not going to fail. Mm-mm. There's not a lot of moving parts in this thing. If they take care of them, they should last them a long time. Yeah. So I didn't want to like cheap out because because there's really nothing you can do to improve that internal storage after you buy it. Yeah, it's all so, soldered in there. So yeah, so the the twelve nine nine one's got the i five, uh, eight gigabytes of RAM, five hundred twelve gigabytes of storage. I think they also yeah. doubled the default storage options. It was yeah. one twenty eight and two fifty six. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that twelve nine nine one is is if it's in the budget, it's a really nice upgrade over the base model. But uh, the yeah. most important question is what what finish did they end up with? Space gray, gold, or silver? So Samantha got the the gold, and okay. Sarah got the space gray. And okay. For whatever reason, I guess the gold is less popular because hers arrived on Friday, mm-hmm. and as we co- record this on Monday, we're expecting Sarah's in today. And um, the so I got to over the weekend spend time on. The new keyboard, it feels exactly like the keyboard on the 16-inch. That's great. feels exactly like the keyboard on the iMac. I hope we can stop talking about keyboards on Mac Power oh users gosh. soon. Yes. Yeah. but it, And I'm, I really think it's great that they did this one first because, like, like, I just had lunch with Jason Snell recently. He was down here, and I asked him, not as a, as a nerd or a podcaster, but as a dad, I'm like, do you have any knowledge about if they're ever going to update that when this macbook air update's going to come he's like i've heard nothing you know mm-hmm. this was like a week or two ago so i feel like um it, it was a real risk that they were going to update the macbook pro first you know i can see a case for that if somebody's looking at a spreadsheet but they didn't they updated the cheaper one first which i'm really happy yeah i would imagine the macbook air is the most popular Mac. It, it was for a long time, and I think it, it probably still is. And in fact, that 13-inch MacBook Pro, as of this recording, is the only one with the bad keyboard now. And so yeah. uh, assuming that's coming, I, I'm hoping that becomes a 14-inch. But um, but let's let's talk about the the MacBook Pro then. So you've really got you've really got kind of three classes of MacBook Pro. It's a little confusing. Of course, you have the 16-inch, which we'll come back to in a second. But then you have the 13-inch MacBook Pro, and you can get that with either uh, two or four Thunderbolt 3 ports. They all come with a touch bar now. They, they you know, For a while, the two-port one did not have a touch bar, but yeah. they've sort of evened that out. Uh, it starts at $1,299 and goes all the way up to $1,799. 
But again, the, these 13s haven't been updated now for, for quite a while. So, you know, they're the oldest thing in the line now, but, um, uh, it's, it's hard. I guess what I'm saying is it's hard to recommend the 13 inch MacBook pro right now. Oh yeah. I would not buy that computer. Mm-hmm. Just like I refused to buy a MacBook air a week ago. I would not buy a 13 inch MacBook pro. Um, is there supply ch- chain rumors about a 14 inch MacBook pro? There, there have been on and off. Yeah. So I, it just I think seems so obvious, right? That yeah. they just do what they did to the, to the 15, do that to the 13. Yeah. And the, you would distinguish it from the air uh, by a good bit, right? It's got, okay. It's got yeah. touch bar and it's just a little bit bigger. I think 14 inches is a fantastic laptop size. So I, I do hope they do that. Um, I I've carried a 13 inch MacBook pro over the years and I tend to like the bigger notebook, but a 14 may be a really nice sweet spot. Yeah. Well, it's just so, it's so uh, positive that, you know, like six months ago, if we had done the state of the Mac, our, our grade on the laptops would be very low because it would be, they were antiquated. They weren't updating and they had a no known problem with the keyboard. I went back and read some of my initial thoughts on that, on that butterfly keyboard to see if I was a fanboy, you know, and I kind of was because I did like the keyboard. I liked mm-hmm. the flatness of it. Um, and to this day, I really didn't have a problem. Like I typed on my daughter's somewhat broken 12 inch and it still feels good to me. So I don't, I really kind of stand by what I said at the time, but what we didn't know is that these things were so failure prone. I mean, a keyboard has one job, right? When you yeah. push the button, the thing happens, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, and the, you know, going back to, I keep thinking about that 13 inch that we had that lasted like nine years. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the reason that computer ultimately failed was not because the keyboard stopped working. Whereas the MacBook air you bought a week ago before these new ones came out, I'm convinced those keyboards will fail um, much sooner than nine years from now. My wife has the 2018 MacBook air. I bought it right after it was announced for her and she hasn't had any problems but she only uses it in clamshell mode. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. think she's ever used it as a laptop, but you know, I just know they're like taking time bombs in there. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to see Apple moving past this. I think the 13 inch will, will come along shortly. Yeah, uh, me too. You've lived with a 16 inch MacBook pro for a while. And we spoke about yeah. it when you got it. And then we did a, a, t- a kind of a touch base deal when uh, doing a feedback show, but how has it held up since then? Are you still loving that machine? Yeah, I'm loving it. It's great. I mean, just like, and it's powerful because I'm working on the photos field guide right now. I'm doing a lot of recording on the iMac, but because of, you know, I'm sharing my studio with my daughter and we've got a puppy, we got to watch and stuff. I'm doing tons of the edits on my kitchen table with a 16 inch mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's way up to the task, you know? And, um, you know, the keyboard I don't think about, which I guess is good. I, I got to stop talking about these keyboards, but the, um, it's, it's fine. You know, I think it's a it's a great computer. The additional screen real estate makes edits so much easier, and um, it's it's a solid computer. I mean, I I feel really uh, positive about Apple laptops, where I haven't felt that way in a long time. Um, I'm convinced that the 13 inch is is not long for this world. The reason they've kept both models is because they're probably going to get rid of both models, hmm. and I I think we're going to have a new 14 inch. I'd be shocked if we didn't. You know by the end of the summer or if not even the time this episode ships. Yeah. Yeah. It could be this week. Who knows? Yeah. But, uh, so I, I make good on Apple, you know, they, I feel like they lost focus on the Mac for a few years Mm -hmm. 
and you know they've especially on the hardware side they've they've really come back in a lot of ways yeah i know there's always conversation especially in the notebooks about well are we going to see usb a we're going to see an sd card slot I don't think either of those are happening. I think if anything was going to get an SD card slot, it'd be the 16 inch. There's all yeah. that room. It's used by professional yeah. photographers and video people. But I, I got to say, I, I think maybe I've just gotten used to it, but I don't really mind the dongle life as much as I did. So I went out and common things I used, like my USB audio interface I use on the road back when we did live shows and stuff. Yeah. Hopefully we'll we'll get to do those again one day. Uh I just I spent like twenty five bucks and cables I used a lot with my notebook, I switched to USB C cables. And yeah, that has made such a huge difference for me. I actually don't use an adapter with my MacBook Pro hardly ever. The only one I really use on a regular basis is the SD card reader. I do wish that showed up in the MacBook Pro again. But I think it was totally worth for me to, to carry less in my bag and, and depend less on adapters. Just replacing some commonly used cables with USB-C ones really made my life with a MacBook Pro a lot more tolerable. We're going to do a future episode on our bags and what we keep in the, like the tech go bag. And let's just do it. Let's plan on that. But the um, you're right. If you stock your tech go bag, you're okay. Although I would say... The SD card reader, I feel that. I mean, I have a camera with an SD card in it. Yep. And every time I want to get stuff out of it, it's a pain in the neck. And the iMac doesn't make it easy either because you've got to like reach behind and try and land it in a slot you can't see. And so I I feel like, man, I wish the SD card, I I guess everybody has their own personal axe to grind. Um, I could see how HDMI could be a problem too. But the, um, but for me, I do miss the SD card slot. I wish it was there. I don't mind carrying a dongle, but I wish I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. But the yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that's going to change. No, I think it's it's the world we live in, and you know you can get a couple of the ones you really need. They're they're pretty small. Of course, there's lots of options that do like multiple ports. Yeah. We'll get into all that. I like the idea of a back show. Um, yeah. But let's let's switch gears to the desktop. So you are yeah. of course an iMac Pro user. And I think it's a spectacular machine, but I'm a, I'm a little worried about its future, David. I, uh, well, first let's talk about why I love this machine. Okay. Right. It, it was a, it's a, it's an, it's an iMac, but it's not. I mean, they, they built a computer from the ground up with the idea that it would never have a spinning drive in it, mm-hmm. which gave them more room on the inside, which allowed them to rethink the cooling system. This thing is whisper quiet. I mean, I'm rendering long videos. I do pretty heavy video stuff on this with the field guides, and it just is always up to the task, and I never hear it. I love the fact that it's got the T2. It's got fast storage on this thing. Um, It's like, it looks like, when you go in the store and you look at it next to an iMac, you're like, okay, so one's dark and one's light, but it's really an entirely different computer on the inside. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I, when I bought it, I was looking at, well, do I get the iMac or the Mac, iMac Pro? The It was about $1,000 more to get the iMac Pro once I got done specking the iMac. But I get so much of that value because of the inside of this thing. And I'm, I'm just so pleased with this computer. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, I, uh, this is one of my favorite Macs. You know, next to the SE30, is the is the iMac Pro still alive in the Ooh, Mac let's, Madness? Let's see. Let me look that up. It better. 
If you tell me it's not, I'm going to hang up right now. <laughs> uh, yes. It, oh, oh gosh. Yeah, it beat out the 12-inch PowerBook. All right. <laughs> Everybody, please vote for the Mac Pro. Save the Mac Power users. For the 12-inch PowerBook. I, I would have. I have yeah. not voted. I would have voted for the 12-inch PowerBook. Well, I, I voted for iMac Pro. Okay. And just like everyone who listens to the show should. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, the uh, But no, I just, I don't know. I, I My love of this computer is more than it, you should have for a piece of technology because it just solves all the problems. I was never tempted by the siren song of the Mac Pro because this thing is just like, it's just perfect for what I do. I don't need any more and I wouldn't want to use less. So it, it's a great computer. Question though, it's not been updated since it came out. Yep. And that, how long has it been out now? Two years, three it years? It came out at the very end of 2017. Yeah. So two and a half it's years. It's been a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a long time for technology, right? It is. I think it's still alive. I think there's going to be another one. I, I think there will be too, because to get a Mac Pro that's equally spec, the display, you're going to spend twice as much. Yeah, and I just think that Apple is now paying attention to the Mac again, and mm-hmm. there is a slot in the lineup for a computer like this. Yep. And I I just firmly believe, maybe, I don't know the whole story, maybe it's a chip thing, maybe it's the ARM transition, for whatever reason, this one's been delayed, but um, this computer is substantially better than a standard iMac and substantially cheaper than a Mac Pro, and this is exactly what, what works for me. So maybe it's wish casting, but... I, I just don't think they're going to make this a one-and-done computer. I think it'd be too big of a gap. And I don't. I think the only way it could happen is if the regular iMac were to become more like the iMac Pro on the high end, which I guess is a yeah. possibility. But the iMac, the iMac's strength is that it covers such a wide basis of use, right? You can get one for a classroom, for a home office, or you can render video on a high-end one, right? It's such a wide breadth. And so maybe the high-end expands to absorb the iMac Pro, but short of that, I think the iMac Pro will stick around. An interesting question on the iMac. Um, We now can buy an Apple laptop for under $1,000 with a 256 gigabyte spinning drive and a retina screen. However, if you get the low-end iMac, you're getting a spinning hard drive, mm-hmm. which in 2020 for me is bananas. It is. I, I don't. I think that's the state of the iMac yeah. is. There should not be one with a spinning drive. Oh, dude, the base iMac isn't even Retina. The $1,100 iMac has an old seventh gen i5, a one terabyte hard drive, and a 1920 by 1080 sRGB display. Did that computer last longer in Mac Madness than the SE30? <laughs> this iMac did not did not make it. Yeah, the the yeah. low end of the iMac line is is it's a shame. No yeah. one should buy. I mean, I have my problems with the Fusion Drive. I don't think you should buy one of those either. But that at least is a little bit better than a spinning drive. It's it's really embarrassing that these low end iMacs are still for sale this way. Yeah, I feel like that is some low-hanging fruit Apple needs to pick. It's the you know lowest-hanging I mean? fruit in the whole Mac hardware line, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they. Uh, so, so what we need, if you pull the spinning drives out of all iMacs, you get the same options that you have with the iMac Pro. Mm-hmm. And maybe a future is there is no iMac Pro, but the iMac gets the iMac Pro design, cooling system, T2 
chip, but then they just have a large spectrum of processor chips available yeah. and um, drive um, performances that you get or drive um, capacities. SSD capacities. So you, in essence, buy an iMac Pro by scaling up an iMac, and it, you get into the same price points, but it's a single product. I could see that, maybe. I think it'd be, it'd be totally fine. And that seems like kind of an Apple thing to do, because then they have fewer SKUs. You know, they kind of like to keep it simple. But um, I don't know. But the uh, I, I really think that the iMac, and that the work is done, you know? <laughs> I mean, they've already figured out how to do this with the iMac Pro. Yeah, it's just right in there. It's case. in the. It's in the. Yeah. I was gonna say it's in the same case. Yeah. Oh boy. Although maybe the next step with the iMac is a new design. You know, maybe there's something that has a different case. Some, you know, a lot of people say, "Well, I wish they'd get rid of the chin." I don't care about the chin. You know, the little metal strip along the yeah. bottom with the Apple logo on it. I don't care about that. It doesn't bother me. But the um, maybe that's what they're going to do. Um, I I kind of have hope because I feel like Apple has solved a lot of the problems in the Mac lineup. And my guess is they probably have something cool in plan for the iMac too. But this is one, a computer that I also would be hesitant to buy right now. Unless you're going to like a really nice 5K and maybe even then I would, I would, I would maybe hold off. It got a, a spec bump a year ago, but that design yeah. is, is really old. I'm like you, I don't mind the chin, but those bezels are rough. <laughs> bring the, bring yeah. those babies in. I'm holding my finger up now. I think it's about an inch. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty maybe close, more. I think. Yeah. So the iMac Pro, I'm a fan, although it is long in the tooth. The iMac needs work. I mean, you, and you can buy an iMac with the SSD and no spinning drive and, and upgrade it to get a better processor, but it's still built inside a internal design that expect there to be spinning drives. So there's a bunch of wasted space and other problems. It doesn't have the T2 security in it that you get with the iMac Pro, and I think every other shipping Mac. Every other Mac has it now except for the iMac. Yeah. Yeah. You can get it on Mac mini, but you can't get it on an yeah. iMac. Yeah. That, that just really, really blows my mind. I think it is, I think the spinning hard drive and the T2 go hand in hand. I think the T2 is only designed for that fast SSD configuration because they fingerprint the disks and stuff. So yeah. I, I, I think my, my understanding is that those two have to come together. So but yeah, I'd love for them to update the iMac. It would be fantastic. There's work to be done here. Yes. So that brings us to the Mac Mini, where we have you know machine that was updated in 2018. Just last week, it got the the base model storage got doubled, so like the MacBook Air did. So that's good, but no CPU or GPU changes. The Mac Mini yeah. continues to be the most flexible Mac in the line, where you can use it as your main system, you can use it as a server, you can use it under your TV you know, in a hall closet somewhere. I think it's it's small size, low heat output. It's quiet most of the time. That's all fantastic. It's not a machine if you need a lot of GPU power. So if you're rendering real high-end video stuff, it's going to struggle because it just has the integrated graphics. But because of Thunderbolt, you can use an external GPU, which I don't have any experience with, but I've got some friends who have played with it. And yeah. it, it is an option if you need it, but I think for most people, the Mac Mini is a fantastic choice just for a home or office computer, especially if you already have a display keyboard and mouse, right? If you need all that, then you got to look elsewhere or buy them. But the Mac Mini sort of shines the way it always has, and I'm glad that Apple finally got around to updating it a couple years ago. 
Yeah, never has a computer been killed more, killed off more often by press and bloggers oh, and podcasters than the Mac Mini. Yeah. And it just keeps coming back. It you know? just keeps springing back to life. Not going to die. Nope. And, and this update last week is Apple's way of saying, oh, yeah, we still care about that. And, um, you know, they didn't do a whole lot for it, but I don't know that they have to. Um, no. They just have to keep it kind of current. And uh, we did a whole show on Mac Mini last year as a server and all the things you can do with it. So... We'll put that in the show notes, but my opinions haven't changed. It's still a great little Mac. And uh, a decision point for me from a lot of friends who like want to get into Mac a lot of times is they're like, do I get a Mac mini or an iMac? Right now, I'd be almost more inclined to push you towards Mac mini. Same. Um, just get a cheap Mac mini and see if it works for you. And if you you know buy into the Apple ecosystem, I think there's going to be a more interesting iMac in the future. I think that's good advice. Let's talk about your beloved, mm. the monstrosity under your desk right now. That's monstrosity? It. How dare you? Yeah. I'm sorry, man. I, I didn't mean to offend your computer. Because, <laughs> you know, if you said that about my beloved SE30, I would, those would be fighting words. So I have yeah. to take that back. Okay. Let's talk about that big piece of metal under your computer. <laughs> it's a giant your desk. piece of metal. The, I mean, look, the Mac Pro. I mean, look, the Mac Pro is fantastic. And yeah. I have really <laughs> enjoyed having it. So the uh, so just so the listeners know, in our outline for the show, we have lots of talking points under each device, but under the Mac Pro, it just says, I mean, comma, it's amazing. That's it. <laughs> That's all we got. Yep. Um, we're going to talk about this more with your, your adv- ongoing adventures with the Mac Pro as mm-hmm. we go through the show, but um, now you've had it for several months. Um, what, what's your feelings towards the expandability and just the daily performance and, and how does it compare to the iMac pro that you had for several years? Yeah, it's, it's all great. And I'll have a link in the show notes to a page called Mac pro log where I'm updating sort of people as it, as it goes, the performance really is incredible. It's not night or day from my iMac pro, I think mainly cause I have the base GPU and I don't do much that really pushes the GPU. So as far as like rendering podcasts and stuff, it is faster, but not night and day faster. But I was already coming from a really good Mac. Coming from a Mac Mini, this thing would be bonkers. Night and day, yeah. Yeah. In that the, case. The thing that I really am loving, though, is the expandability. So now I have uh, one, two, I have four internal drives plus the boot drive. Yeah. Three of those are SSDs. One is a two and a half inch hard drive for Time Machine. And it's great that I have all that inside of it. But I got to tell you, the thing that impresses me is that it is completely silent, no matter what I'm doing. So with the iMac Pro, I could get it to spin up. I could hear the fans doing video work, and the Mac Pro is just silent all the time. Now, is that enough to warrant the upgrade? Probably not, even for me, but it's a really nice bonus. And I'm just loving having a Mac that I can tinker with and that I know, like, this is a machine I bought to use for a decade, and I feel really confident that's how it's going to play out. Yeah, I agree. I think you're going to get a lot of use out of it. Boy, that that's the one thing that gives me the green tinge of jealousy is the idea of having all that internal storage inside the device. Mm-hmm. And like me with the duct taped um, drives uh, throughout my yeah, desk. Yeah. And, and by the way, I never heard from any listener telling me that there is a potential six-foot cable to connect that OWC drive under my desk. So yeah. I just don't think it exists. I don't think it exists. <laughs> I don't think it exists. Yeah, yeah. If you look at, at the pictures on that page, you can see how I have the drives mounted. A couple of them are on PCI cards and it's, it's great. I'm not doing the most dense storage I could. I mean, I can move to like M.2 drives, but 
these are SSDs I already had. And so just putting them on OWC cards and putting them in slots is really nice. I got to ask you, Stephen, given my problem, right? I've got an external SSD, fast, fast access, necessarily short cable. And I know how much you hate the fact that I've gaff taped it to my boom arm. What would you do? Well, I wouldn't use a boom arm, so you could just hide it behind the foot of the of the, the Mac. I will yeah. say, let, let me see if I can find this product. 12 South used to make a product. Shelf. Yes. But it went, it that went work on. With the, it, no, because it goes on the arm of the... Uh, oh, that's right. It won't... Yeah, or the backpack is what they call it. Yeah, that won't work for you, will it? Because you've got the vase amount. Yeah. Mm. Well, I don't have any solutions. I just know it hurts me inside. Okay. All right. I'm the victim here. I'm, that's not my problem to fix. I, I don't know. I just thought maybe you had an idea. <laughs> I, I mean, that's nothing. all, man. I got nothing. Uh, all right. So general thoughts on Mac hardware as we're doing the state of the Mac. I feel like it's it's on an upward trend, which I'm very happy. You know? Yes. There was a few years there where we were wondering if it was on a death spiral because it seemed like they were just getting worse with every release. And then the, you know, the keyboards that were proven to be, you know, have um, failure rates continue to show up in each new year. And we started to wonder, do they even care? And they do because they they fixed a lot of the stuff. Um, I do think there are some interesting engineering considerations and hardware uh, that they've made. I just wanted to throw some ideas at you to see your thoughts on them. And the first is on the laptops, weight versus battery. How's Apple doing on that? You know, I think on the 16 inch, they've struck the right deal where it is heavy, but it's the biggest battery you can put on an airplane, which is fantastic. The MacBook Air, I think, is a pretty good trade off, too. I think those lower spec processors are easier on the battery life, obviously, than like the i9 and the MacBook Pro. The MacBook Air should be light. And uh, so I think, I think all in all, they do a pretty good job. This is not something I would have said two years ago, but that 16 inch putting the maximum battery in totally changed my tune on this. Yeah. I do think like on the air, the one my daughter's using, it's brand new. Of course, the battery life seems to last forever because it's brand new. But I think the same thing, the weight versus battery life decision on the MacBook Air is a different calculus mm-hmm. than you use for something like the 16-inch. I think they're I think they're doing good. Um, I think the weight versus battery life argument could change drastically if they switch to ARM, which we'll talk about later in the show. Okay, what about the ports, both on the desktop and the laptop? How are they doing? I guess we kind of covered that a little bit already. Yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, the desktop is great, right? You just get tons of ports on the iMac and the Mac Mini. The Mac Pro doesn't have a ton, but it's you got PCI slots, so you can do whatever you want. The, the thing that I am encouraged by is that since they dropped the 12-inch MacBook, all the ports that look the same do the same thing. They're all Thunderbolt 3. Well, before you had... Well, this port's USB-C, so you can't use this Thunderbolt dock with it, or you can't use this display, but you can use that one. And look, I don't think most people, including myself, are really utilizing the full potential of Thunderbolt 3, right? It is a super fast connection for high-speed disk arrays and large displays. And I think most of us, outside of using an external monitor, aren't really pushing Thunderbolt to what it can do. But I think that's fine, because finally Apple's ports all do the same thing. And that is fantastic. That that was not true for so long. I'm, I'm sure you remember there was many display port and then Thunderbolt used the same yeah. you know, physical physical connection. Then Thunderbolt 2 used the same physical connection. And there was USB-C and Thunderbolt 3. And Apple just going to Thunderbolt 3, even though most people don't actually need it, I think is great. Yes, you have to use adapters and that is a bummer. 
But in terms of confusion across the product line, I think they've really cleaned that up as well. Yeah. And I still think that that is going, that standard is going to take off. I mean, it's already, I mean, it's in the iPad now. So, well, actually, is that a Thunderbolt port nope, in the it's iPad? Just, well, that's, that's just USB-C on the, on yeah. the iPad. Um, but Thunderbolt 3 is even on a bunch of high-end PCs. And um, yeah. so, yeah, the, the, the iPad is a little bit different. But just talking about the Mac, at least, it's all the same, which is good. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I'm I'm generally positive about the Mac. I feel like the iMac is the next thing. I guess the iMac and the 13-inch MacBook Pro, the penny needs still needs to drop on those two. But overall, I think you know they've they've really shown up on the Mac, and I'm very encouraged that given more time, the next time we do the show, I suspect all of the hardware is going to be in a state that we can feel safe recommending it. How's that for optimism? I like it. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by FreshBooks. Go to freshbooks.com slash MPU for a 30-day free trial. FreshBooks is a company that offers super simple cloud accounting software. It simplifies tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, meaning FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. There's a notification center built within FreshBooks, and it keeps you up to date with what's going on in your business. So you don't have to go check a bunch of invoices individually to see if they've been paid or if someone's logged in. It surfaces that for you, so you just have a bird's eye view of what's going on. And FreshBooks also keeps up with the status of an invoice. So, so when you email a client an invoice, they, you know, they may look at it. They may not. FreshBooks will keep you up to date. It can show you whether or not they've seen it so you know what's going on. It, it puts an end to that, those guessing games. If you're listening to this and you haven't checked out FreshBooks, now is the time to try it. I know it's made a huge difference in my business. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of the show. There's no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com MPU and enter Mac Power Users in the How You Heard About Us section. Once again, that's freshbooks.com slash MPU. Our thanks to FreshBooks for the support of the show. All right, let's go from hardware to software, and particularly the operating system, Mac OS. Unlike iPad OS that's a year old, Mac OS is a little older. It is. Mac OS X's first public release was 19 years ago. It's And a lot has changed, of course. A lot has changed. But the bones are still the same, right? You still use it the same way. There's still the dock and the finder and the menu bar. I think for the most part, if you sat somebody down in front of almost any version of Mac OS X or Mac OS, they would be able to figure it out. Well, I wouldn't even argue if you took someone that went back on that original 128K Mac, they would be able to generally get around on the modern version. I mean, a lot of the paradigms are the same. It is. It's amazing even from the classic Mac OS to OS X, how much sort of stayed the same. And Mac OS X really was a complete reboot, right? It was a yeah. different operating system, and they brought over compatibility with some, some old stuff. But for a long time, every year, every version of Mac OS X, wasn't every year in the beginning, every couple of years, it was like a big deal, right? Like they added things like, oh, now we have a calendar application. Now we have a browser. Yeah. Now we yeah. have Windows file server stuff. It really, 
they started very small. The, the, the one thing I was really struck by when I did those uh, screenshots of the various Mac OS X versions was how small, like how there wasn't that much to the early versions. And if you look at it now, it's it's obviously much more complex. But for a long time, they were just slowly building their house brick by brick. Yeah, I I, I was the other day, I had my uh, Tiger, I saw my Tiger t-shirt that I got. Oh, from yeah. Getting in line, you know, the night it released. Oh, I miss those days. Um, but the uh, I feel like for the longest time, each year or two years, they would release a new version and what they were doing was was building atop an existing foundation. Like, you know, they would figure something out, and the release that came in a few years ago didn't change that, but added a new feature somewhere else in the operating system. Spotlight would be the exception. I felt like Spotlight made continual improvements over many years, but many of the features was like, okay, we finished that, now we're going to tackle this other problem on our whiteboard. And the thing you could rely upon as a user was the stuff that they fixed the last time was going to stay fixed. You know, um, for many years, I felt like a, a new software update might mean that I have something that's a little buggy with respect to new features, but the old features are going to continue to work. And maybe I'm looking at it through rose colored glasses, but I feel like a problem they have now is that that's not necessarily true. I feel like things that work in one version of the operating system may break in the next version. And granted, I'm not trying to be an apologist, but I do understand that now they're trying to work on multiple operating systems and make things talk to each other. And now there's just a lot more moving pieces, so it's easier to break existing things by adding new things. But that is, I think, a weakness in the operating system at this point is you don't have that security in mind that everything's going to continue to work that worked before. Yeah, I think that's true. And it is easy to look back on old versions. You know, I remember like when Mac OS 10 Leopard came out, if you were running like a, a certain version of Norton antivirus, your machine just wouldn't boot anymore, right? Like there have been issues. But I, I think the underlying thing to what you're getting to is that it is just so much more complex now. The Mac OS has to get along with its iOS and iPadOS cousins. That iCloud has basically got its hooks in tons Everything. of different parts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all over yeah. the place in Mac OS. And in some places, it feels like the old way of doing things and the new way of doing things are sort of in conflict. Uh, one of my least favorite examples of this is in Mail, where you have, in Mail's preferences, you have uh, an accounts section. But then also in System Preferences, you have a, a web or online accounts section. And it's not immediately clear what you can do in each one. And it's like, why are these things in two different places? Like, if you want them in a centralized location like it is on iOS, get rid of this pain in mail. But they haven't, and I don't know why. And it's just some of those things just feel like this, This there used to be one way to do things, and now there's more than one way to do things, and everything hasn't made the shift yet. Yeah. I, I think on mail, I mean, the things I heard kind of from from folks – when you used to go to WWDC was that they'd done a lot of work under the hood and not so mm -hmm. much user facing work. And probably that's just on the list, but I, uh, I do agree that it's just like, um, you don't, you just don't have the guarantee that I used to feel regressions are more common. And maybe that's just part of the price of admission in a world where you have all these cloud hooks and you have all these different platforms that it needs to work with. Mm -hmm. But, um, I would like to see that get better. Yeah, me too. I think 
there's also maybe a cultural thing going on with macOS where in the early days, macOS 10 was, you understood its user base pretty well, right? It was a lot of students. It was a lot of artistic types. And that was pretty much it because that was all Apple pretty much had when macOS 10 started. But over the years, macOS 10 has grown. macOS has grown into a much more broadly used operating system. And as that has taken place, Apple's had to add features. And now you have things in first-party applications that you didn't have before. So like, I remember it being a big deal when they added iCal, you know, the calendar application. It's like, oh, is this part of the operating system? Is it not? Like, it's hard to tell. And now the OS comes with so many things because people just expect that when they unbox their first MacBook Air for the first time. And that has led, led to a lot of complexity. And I think that there are, and this is speculation and just feeling on my part. So like, don't read into this more than just that it's my feeling. Is that I, I, I have the feeling that there are a lot of people at Apple working on macOS projects that aren't, that don't have the history of the Mac sort of flowing through their veins like maybe David, sure. you and I do. Sure. And as that happens, which is natural, right? They hire a lot of young talent. It's totally natural. But as that's happened, what the what it means to be a good Mac app or what it means to be a good Mac feature has slipped a little bit. And look, I still believe Mac OS is the best computing platform on the planet. I like, I'm not one of those people that look at Windows, like, maybe I'll switch to that. Like I'm going to run Mac OS as long, you know, as long as they make it. But it, it doesn't mean that it hasn't changed. And some of those changes are bad. But at the same time, I think some of the changes are good. I think features that they've added over time have made the Mac a better place, right? Things like notes, for instance, right? Like a really yeah. good way to sync data between all my devices with the iCloud stuff. Like there's lots of good things that have added, but it, it seems to come at the expense of stability uh, every, at least every couple of releases. Yeah, agreed. And um, I think that setting aside stability, let's assume they they fix that problem. And I do believe they're working on it. Um, but, you know, what are other things that it could improve upon? Um, one for me is window management. And uh, I know this comes up on the MPU podcast quite often, but just the built-in window management tools are are pretty bad. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, the uh, apps like Moom and Keyboard Maestro, you can work around them, which is one of the nice things about the Mac. But, the, um, but just the other day, I thought, well, I'll try again Apple's because I don't have the extra monitors. I said, well, I'll try and, and set up some additional screens. And it's it's like handcuffing yourself when you use the built-in system. It just doesn't even make sense. It takes extra mouse clicks. It's not as fluid. I mean, there's really almost no reason to use it because it's only half done. I mean, I feel like there there's a bunch of work to be done on this operating system still. Yeah, I mean, just look at how mission control has changed over the years and things they've taken away and added and tweaked. And now you have split screen apps the last couple of years, like they make very little sense in some context. And it, it yeah, they're trying to, to add a lot of things to the interface that aren't, that haven't been there the whole time. And some of them have worked better than others. I, mean, I remember when they added spaces in, I don't know, leopard or snow leopard, I guess leopard, and thinking like, oh, that's really cool, but it wasn't for me. But it, for a while, it was like, okay, you have expose and you have spaces and the mission control kind of brought it all under one roof and they've changed that a lot. And yeah, some of those features could be a lot better. But what is cool about macOS is you mentioned Moom and, and other applications where 
you can kind of do what you want in terms of things like window management. And there's no way that's going to happen on an iPad, right? That is a thing that is very specific to the Mac. And one reason I love the Mac, because I can tweak it and tune it to make it do what I want it to do. So Catalina. Yeah. Is it as bad as everybody says it is? I have many complicated thoughts. I think... I think it is easy to to look at like the death of 32-bit apps and sort of how rough some of the Catalyst apps have been and say, oh, Catalina is not a good update because of these things. It broke a lot of my workflows or the new Catalyst apps aren't as good. And those are fair and right assessments. And I agree with those assessments. But if we take them off the table for a second, we just look at Catalina as an operating system and take away sort of the, the other things that brought with it. I don't think it's any worse than the last couple of versions. You know, I think at the OS level, I haven't had the USB audio issues that I had sort of in the early Mojave days. I haven't had some of the uh, the weird disk stuff I had, after, you know, with High Sierra and the APFS tra- or the APFS sort of transition. So I think the OS itself is fine, but the 32-bit app deal obviously broke a lot of people's workflows in, in ways that people are still discovering. And the the apps that it has brought with it, which we're going to talk about in the next section, leave a little bit to be desired in places. And so I think I think Catalina was rough around the edges in the beginning, like almost any point oh is. But I think that its reputation has been damaged by those other things in maybe a way that's a little unfair. I see. I have not really had any problems with Catalina. I do like the the voice control stuff they added. Um, that is a great feature for me. Um, but just in the last week, as I mentioned in an earlier ad spot, I had an iCloud drive syncing problem, and I'd never had that before. I think that's probably Catalina's fault. So I am not without scars with this operating system. But I, I feel like just in general, it's been rough going for the last few years, which kind of leads to the next question. Do we need a new Mac operating system every year? No, I don't think we do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, somebody did the math on this. I'll see if I can find the article and link it in the show notes. But they talked about kind of the workflow inside Apple for a new operating system where they have like three months to pitch and create new ideas. They have like three months to implement it. Then they announce it. And then, you know, it comes out, it goes into beta and they've got three or four months in beta to, to finalize. And then they've got a couple months to fix bugs. Mm-hmm. And then they've got to start again. And when you're on a two-year cycle, the time to come up with new ideas and implement them goes from three months to 15 months. Yeah. And suddenly you can do something much more aggressive. Um, and I, as soon as I read that article, I'm like, oh, of course, they need to stop doing yearly updates for the Mac. But the problem is everything's connected. And when they make changes to iOS and they want it to work with the Mac too, they've still got to update for that. But you know, could they do that in point updates or something? I, I mean, I don't pretend to have all the answers, but at a gut level, I would love for them to slow down the Mac updates. I would too. And, and yeah, so have 10.13.7, and that brings the iCloud support for things in iOS 14, for instance, and put the Mac back on a cycle of every other year or even longer. I don't think that's a big deal. A, that's the way it used to be. But if you look at Windows, Windows 10 is just Windows 10 and Microsoft yeah. has to update to it. However, you know, every so many months and it adds features and fixes. 
but they sort of said Windows 10 is the base moving forward, at least at least for now. You know, they're, they're not prepping Windows 11, uh, at least at this point. So I think the pressure of that could be could be backed off a little bit. I think it was more important, you know, like, like in the days of, you know, Yosemite and Sierra and High Sierra, where like iOS is making big jumps, right? They had to add handoff and extensions and all those things. I didn't love it, but I understood it. Right? Yeah, like things like AirDrop should be on both platforms at the same time. But now that iOS is a lot more mature, and I think a lot of the work on iOS is going to be about making the iPad better as a computer, the cross-platform stuff feels pretty well-baked. And so maybe they could let off the gas on the Mac. I wish they would. I think that it's it's very stressful for the Mac community to have every year an update and like, well, is this going to break my audio setup or is this going to break the, you know, the old version of Microsoft Word I'm using or whatever. And that's just frustrating. And I think a lot of people hold off. I think the the amount of people who jump in on day one, you know, after the last couple of years is probably fewer because they have yeah. been burned. And Apple, that's like a self-inflicted wound on Apple's part. They don't, they're the ones making the decision here. And it's not like they don't have other things to be working on, you know, so. Yeah. But actually, I don't, I take that back. I don't want this to mean that they have fewer people working on it, but I just would like to give the engineers 15 months instead of three months to come up with new ideas and make something awesome. And I think that could maybe fix some of the the longstanding problems like windowing and some of the underlying like file management stuff that that we would like to see improve on the Mac. If they had time, I bet they could do that. I mean, there's some very Mm -hmm. smart people at Apple. Totally. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by OmniFocus. Go to the link in the show notes and check out OmniFocus to start getting your act together today. OmniFocus is the task manager that I've been using for years, and I love it because it allows me to manage all the various facets of my life. With OmniFocus, you can set actions, projects, perspectives, and you can make them work just the way you want to. Because I've got these two careers, I've got a very precise splits between the various tasks I do, and I've set up these perspectives in OmniFocus that can show me just what I need when I'm working on the various elements of my life. Another thing that OmniFocus has that really nobody else has is a really powerful review system. So you can review your projects and actions from time to time just so you stay on track. I was just doing my review yesterday and found a project that was lingering. And I didn't realize that it didn't have any more tasks related to it, but it still needed my attention. And I was only able to find that through review. Uh, OmniFocus has a notification system that reminds you when something is coming up so you don't have to keep checking the app. And it really just does a great job of not only managing your tasks, but staying out of the way while you're getting your work done. And of course, it syncs with everything. It seems like it syncs with the Mac, iPad, iPhone. They even have a web service so you can get it on the web. So if you work in a Windows environment, you can see your tasks and do work with your tasks right there. Uh, They've got various versions, so you can go check it out. Head over to the omnigroup.com. We've got a link in the show notes that we'd like you to use if you are going to go check it out. They've got various pricing depending on which version you get. Like if you want to get the subscription for the Windows thing, they've got that for you. It's an excellent company making an application to help you get your work done every day. OmniFocus saves my bacon every day. Maybe it can save yours too. Go check it out. And thank you, Omni Group, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. So let's get into third-party software, the ecosystem of applications that run atop Mac OS. It's no secret that it's slower here than iOS and iPadOS. It's just just the truth. Yeah, but it's deeper. Yeah, I think so. There's so much stuff there. I mean, it's been going on for so long. I mean, 
I was thinking about a default folder X, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the reason it has X in the name because I'm pretty sure that they had it before we had OS 10. <laughs> yeah, I think it was it was on it was on the legacy, you know, it was the original version. But I mean, there's just so much great stuff there. Um, it is certainly not innovating as fast as the iPad is or the the iPhone, mm-hmm. but it, it really is. I think one of the best features of the Mac is the software community and and the software, the legacy software that's been out there for so long. And like you said, it's deeper. You know, I'm just looking at my screen right now, and I'm running Audio Hijack, which is recording my audio and your audio routed through Skype. Like you can jump through hoops on iPadOS, but the Mac has all of these underlying systems that give developers really rich tools to make apps that couldn't exist on the iPad. And it's one reason I I end up on the Mac way more often than not is because of these applications. Yeah. I mean, just sitting here prepping for the show today, I was thinking BB edit, which is like been around forever and it's so powerful. People switch to the Mac platform just for that single app. If they're in web development, Mm -hmm. Uh, panics transmit. I mean, Clean My Mac, a sponsor today, um, they've got this beautiful uh, thing that allows you to look good, have a great user interface, and also let you clean your Mac and deal with kind of the background stuff that used to be so hard for us. Um, And then Apple's offerings like Logic and Final Cut. There's so many companies making super interesting software for the Mac that goes so much further than they can on any other platform. And what is really neat about some of these applications is the the ability to interact with one another. Yes, they're sandboxing on the Mac, but there's so many subsystems because the Mac is such a mature platform that something like Audio Hijack can listen to a Skype call and record my local audio and bring it all into one, right? That these applications can can talk to each other in a way that again, you can do on the iPad to a degree, but in many ways is a lot easier to manage on the Mac. You don't have to jump through all the hoops. Yeah, I mean, it does even more than that. Audio hijack, as we're talking right now, it's listening to Skype. It's taking my audio and making one recording. It's listening to Steven's audio. This is all on my computer. Making a separate recording of Steven. And then it's also making a third recording of us combined. Yep. So when we're done recording the show, I can send the reference file to the editor along with separate recordings of each of us. And by the way, there's another app entirely called uh, Skype Call Recorder that's making a backup recording. Yeah. So I'm making four separate recordings while we're doing this show, and that's just not possible on any other Apple platform at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's because the Mac is this open platform with all, like I said, all these deep these deep tools, but that has changed some, you know, which we we can get into. But I think the the big thing that sets the Mac apart is, is automation is is your word. Sorry. Automation ring the bell anyways, but (laughs) we don't have shortcuts on the Mac, but we have Hazel text expander, keyboard maestro, Apple script, JavaScript support. I mean, just on and on and on. Apple events. I mean that maybe that should get a bell too. I mean, Apple events is this, underlying architecture that a bunch of nerds made when they first came up with Mac OS 10, where they hardwired automation triggers into virtually everything that happens on the computer. And that's the foundation of automation on the Mac. That's, that's what Apple script is, 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 you know, hooking into to make all the magic happen. And so, I mean, that's stuff that Apple, for whatever reason, chose not to put into iPad OS and, and iPhone OS. 
I guess iOS. It started out, out as iPhone OS. They just chose not to implement that in the early days, and I don't think those are ever going to show up. That's something that you just don't get. I mean, there there is automation on iOS, and I'm a fan of it. And there's a good argument to be made that that automation is easier to use and implement. But I don't think you can make the argument that it's more powerful. Agreed. Totally agreed. Yeah. Auto, I mean, automators as close as we get, but something like Apple Script, it's a little intimidating at first. No, it's harder, but it does more. Yeah. Is I guess my point. Yeah. Um, utility apps is another thing. You talked earlier about window management on the Mac. There are so many options. If I don't like the way the windows are managed, you can get an app or write a script or <laughs> just change about, it. <laughs> yeah, there's about 10 ways to skin that cat, but not on the iPad. You know, if you don't like the way multitasking is done on the iPad, you got one choice, you know, <laughs> Too bad. don't use the iPad you know, or don't multitask. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that gives you things. I mentioned default folder. That's another great app that it rewrites this open and save dialogue box. You think you're ever going to get that on the iPad or the iPhone? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, so, um, so that is a, a definite benefit and it's just a fundamental difference between the mm-hmm. two operating systems. It almost defines them. Because the idea of the iPad and the iPhone is not to saddle the user with the kinds of problems that come with being able to change that stuff. I mean, that was a choice for a good reason. But, you know, it's also a benefit to the Mac. And with Catalina, we are seeing new ways that developers can write applications for the Mac. So we we had episode 513 with John Voorhees about Catalyst yeah. apps. And things have evolved a little bit since then. There have been more apps out there. But it's effectively iPad apps rewritten for the Mac and they're a little rough in places. You know, even the best ones feel like iPad apps in, in, in some corners, but Apple has already made big improvements to the, the platform that, that powers these things. And I expect they will just get better and better. And what's, what's good about this is it opens the door to the Mac for, look, there are a lot, there are way more iOS developers than Mac developers. It's just the, the simple truth. And yeah. a lot of them, when it touched the Mac, because the way to develop on the Mac was pretty old and pretty old school compared to iPad OS and, and iOS. But now they're opening the door to those developers and say, look, there's this other platform that we have. It's not as big as the the iPhone, not as big as the iPad, but these users really want good, rich, deep applications. And I'm encouraged by what I've seen so far. And like, there's a bunch of Catalyst apps and beta that I've gotten to try. There's some good stuff coming, but it's just going to take time. And I think it's it's wrong to sort of write off Catalyst apps at this point because it's you know still very early days. Yeah, and you know, don't forget Swift UI, which is kind of the long term solution for this, where you develop a user interface that applies to everything from the the Macintosh to the iPhone to the Apple TV to the watch, and it's a one time thing for developers, so it makes their job even easier. And mm-hmm. I, I do think just like we're seeing we're seeing more immediate results with the shift in focus to the Mac on the hardware. I think long term they have good ideas to make the Mac software relevant. Yeah. It does make me wonder though, because we've been talking about the benefit of the the Mac as a device where you can buy apps that are not sold with sandboxing through the app store. You can get independent apps, which gives you a lot more power. Is that going to continue? Do you think Apple will change that? I think there will always be ways to install apps outside of the Mac App Store. A, a lot of Mac apps can't conform to the sandboxing rules that the Mac App Store enforces. And and that means that 
okay, you have to ask Apple for entitlements. Like, hey, I need access to this system functionality, that system functionality. And the list of those entitlements is far from everything that Mac can do. So those apps are limited in what they can do and what they can see like on your disc or something. Yeah. Um, But Apple has introduced uh, notarization. So if you have a Mac app that's not in the Mac app store, you've run it through Apple's notarization process. It is not an approval. So Apple's not saying these apps are good and these apps are bad. These apps are allowed. These are not. What it's doing is it's scanning for malicious content in the app and it lets the app pass through Gatekeeper, which has been around on the Mac for a while. It's the setting in, in the security preference pane to say, I only want apps from the Mac App Store. I don't want any Mac, any apps from anywhere else. And we've all seen this. You, you download an application from the internet and it says, hey, uh, this, you know, you got to hit continue to install this. You need to understand this is not from the Mac App Store. Uh, notarization lets apps pass through that. And most importantly, if a Mac app in the world goes rogue where it suddenly has uh, an issue, Apple can pull the plug on it and keep it from launching across all Macs. Apple has a anti-malware system and they've used it a couple of times where uh, an app has been compromised somehow or developer is doing something they shouldn't and Apple can shut it down to protect its users. That feels like a really good middle ground to me. And I'm not a Mac developer and I think some of them probably don't like notarization, but as a user, I like it because I know that Apple has a way into these applications and that they're not malicious. And that means I can still pay them directly on their website. They can still do all sorts of banana things that Mac app store apps can't. But like I said, I feel like a really good balance. And I think notarization to me is a signal that we're not going to go app store only anytime soon, if ever. Yeah. I think the existence of notarization really makes the point. Yep. You know, and often I hear from people saying, well, you know, you know, Apple, they're going to want to lock it down. They want to sell everything through their app store. And and you can take kind of um, very cynical standpoints on this. And I'm sure there are people maybe that run spreadsheets in Apple or that run security in Apple that would like everything to be through the app store. But I know from firsthand experience, there's a lot of users at Apple that love these old apps that do all this crazy stuff on their computer. I would argue there's more people at Apple that are using apps outside of the app store than are not. And Mm. I'm sure that they're going to be in there fighting for us. And that's probably why notarization exists. Yeah. I mean, overall, I I mean, the the common narrative is that, you know, the app store, the Mac is dead in terms of software development. I don't really see it that way. I think Mac uh, develop Mac customers usually pay more for software than iPad and iPhone customers do. I think Apple is trying very hard to make it easier for people to get software on the Mac. And I think people just discount this rich history of really powerful software. I mean, all the stuff we talked about today, BB Edit, Logic, Default Folder, Hazel, uh, Keyboard Maestro, all that's actively developed still on the Mac. Even though it's not new to the Mac, it's still like amazing software, much of which you can't really match on iOS or iPadOS. Agreed. It's alive and well, despite what people may say. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by 1Password. Head on over to onepasswordcom MPU and you'll get 20% off when you sign up. 1Password is the tool I rely on to have my passwords with me wherever I go. We all know, we all understand that all of our online accounts deserve their own unique strong passwords. It's a great way to stay safe online. 
But in reality, that's hard, right? Because you got to come up with a system or try to remember them all or keep them all on a sticky note. All those systems are bad. One password is the system you should look at because it gives you your passwords in a secure vault on all of your devices. That means if you're on your Mac, you can log in with any browser with just a keystroke. If you're on an iPad or an iPhone, you can log into apps and websites with Face ID or Touch ID, and it's all there with you all the time. 1Password is great for individuals, but it's also great for business. And right now, 1Password has uh, extended the trial period on 1Password for business. So if you're a company with a lot of uh, people working from home, now's a great time. Check out 1Password for business. Uh, My partner and I at Relay, we use it. We have passwords that are just for us. We have passwords that we share with our sales manager, our administrative assistant. And it's fantastic knowing that the four of us all have access to what we need to. And I, as the administrator, if I need to make any changes to that, it's all really easy from the 1Password for Business dashboard. So head on over to onepasswordcom slash MPU to learn more and sign up. You can get a 30-day free trial there. And again, when you sign up, you'll get 20% off. Our thanks to 1Password for their continued support of Mac Power users. Okay, so we've talked about the, you know, the current state of the Mac. What do you see in terms of the future, hardware and software? I really feel like we're right on the edge of some big changes for the Mac, particularly in hardware. I feel like Catalina, in hindsight, is going to be a really big deal. You know, 32-bit apps and Catalyst apps and all that stuff. But, of course, there have been long-stand rumors that Apple would move to ARM processors, like what's in the iPad. And, in fact, the iPad Pro benchmarks in a pretty similar fashion as a lot of Mac notebooks, if not better. And so, Yeah, it's, it's beating the, the new MacBook Air, yeah. and it's in the ballpark of the MacBook Pro. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a lot of benefits to Apple going that route, much better battery life. Apple has more control so they can update things when they want, not stuck waiting on Intel. It'd be a good deal all around. Now, it'll come with costs. So if you're out there virtualizing Windows, you know, that may be tricky, at least at first, until ARM Windows becomes more of a thing. It's going to come with costs. But I think for most people, it would be a benefit, especially on the notebook side. And again, it's been rumored for years. It always feels like it's right around the corner. But I think if any company can do a big transition, clearly it's Apple. They're really good at that. Yeah, and it seems like the rumors are heating up. It's like it's always been like smoke on the horizon, mm-hmm. but now you feel like the smoke is surrounding us. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> you know. So I guess is it Ming Chi Kuo, who's one of the best sources on Apple supply chain? I think he said possibly this year. Yeah, and I don't know if that means that they're going to say, "Hey, all the Macs now have ARM processors," or maybe they're going to introduce something new that's like a test machine that goes i mean we'll, we'll be able to, we'll be able to talk about it more when it happens yep. but i think it is on the horizon and and you're right it, it, bat, the big advantage immediate advantage i think would be battery life because those arm processors just there's a reason why they use arm in the iphone and ipad because they use much less battery or power yeah it, it's really incredible the the difference it can make and and I look forward to that because it would be fantastic to have a macbook air that ran for 24 hours <laughs> like yeah. who, who wouldn't I mean, want that yeah, And so I think it's coming and it's, it's all going to be in the details. But like I said, like Apple's done this. They moved from the 6800 to the PowerPC to Intel. They moved from OS 9 
to OS 10, then move from 32-bit to 64-bit. Apple can't do this. It's just a matter of of when it happens. And I feel like it is just, it, it could be this year. And I think if it's not this year, it it's very easily next year. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i like you. I'm actually pretty rosy about the Mac. I, I feel like, which is a, a refreshing feeling because for a while it felt like both software and hardware was kind of lagging. And um, I wasn't sure if Apple was a Mac company anymore. And now I feel pretty confident they are. You know, mm-hmm. between the release of the Mac Pro and the iMac Pro, even though it's a little old now, um, that was an amazing machine they made. And they've really fixed their act with respect to the laptops. Um, I, too, feel like Catalina is going to be not as maligned once we get the next version. It's going to be like the second iteration of the MacBook Air. It's going to be, I think we're going to have a lot of bug fixes, not a lot of features next yeah, year. I think so. And uh, I think we'll all feel pretty pretty good about it then. And you're right. You know, getting it on a 64-bit base platform, uh, I just feel like we've got some good things coming to us in the future. Like, I would be tempted with this purchases I made this week to tell my kids, let's wait because I think they're going to be one that has a much longer battery life, but they literally don't have working computers. So yeah. we had to do it. But the, um, but I think, you know, if you're thinking about buying a laptop, you don't really need, I would sit tight for a little bit just to see what happens. Cause I think it's going to be a really fun year. Yeah. I, I'd go through WWDC and if, yeah. if they're going to switch to arm, they're going to tell developers first. So yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, I, I'm feeling much more positive about the Mac now than I have in a few years. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted just to, touch on you know is touchscreen max this comes up from time to time and we're getting ready to talk about the ipad pro and the magic keyboard apple a long time ago said well people don't want to like reach up and hold their arms out you know your arm will fall off that sort of thing and i think just like the um no one wants a stylus and now we have the the yeah pencil stylus yeah (laughs) uh, i think Apple has changed its tune and changed its thinking on this. The iPad, especially with a keyboard and trackpad, is a, can be a laptop you touch. It's also a tablet. What I think this is much more about now is that Mac OS is nowhere near touch ready. If you just look on your Mac at, at some of the absolutely tiny targets, they're too small for touch. And it would need a pretty extensive UI overhaul to make it friendly for touch. Windows had this issue where they had, for years and years, Versions of Windows are like, this is just like Windows, you know, 2000, but you put it on a touchscreen like for years. Yeah. And a lot of them were really bad. And now with Windows 10, they sort of bridge the gap. And in some modes, it looks this way and works the other way. And they've struggled with it. And I think we can look at that struggle and apply it directly to Mac OS and say, you can't just put a touchscreen on a MacBook Air. You have to really change some fundamental things about the user interface. And I'm not sure they want to do that. I'm not sure that it's necessary. A lot of people would like a touchscreen Mac. And a lot of people say, well, don't change anything, but I could use it to swipe around in Logic or whatever. That would be fine. But clearly, Apple thinks the touch bar, at least in the notebook setting, is middle ground there. And so I just I don't see them slapping touch in the next generation of MacBook Air without a big change to Mac OS. I could be wrong. But that's my sense is that that's what's holding it back at this point. And that the old idea of people don't want to hold their arms out, that's just faded away because Apple sells a product that works just that way. Yeah, I, I think that you're right that the user interface is a problem. I mean, if you look at those old Windows, the original touch computers, they all came with a, a pen or pencil. I forget what they called it. But it was a stylus device that had a very fine tip on it because that was the only way you could run the operating system was with the pencil. 
And I don't, I just feel like Apple doesn't want to ship something like that. We're going to talk in a few minutes about the way they implemented the mouse on the iPad. And it's a uniquely iPad experience. I feel like if they were going to do touch on the Mac, they'd want it to be a uniquely touch Mac experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not sure they've got the, the wherewithal to do that right now. I feel like they'd rather put that engineering into making the iPad, which is a touch interface more, Mac like, mm-hmm. or you know, then they would the opposite. I think so, and it would really disrupt the stability that the Mac does have. You know, yeah. it, the Mac has had a lot of up and down changes over the years, but like the UI and stuff. If you're building a Mac app, you know what to expect, and I think that that would be a pretty big upheaval. But but I get it too. Like Sarah Daichi, the DG, yeah, the guest DG. I'm sorry, who was a guest on our show recently. I just watched one of her um, recent uh, YouTube videos where she did a thing on the touchscreen laptops on the PC side, mm-hmm. and she's she's all in with it because yep. it combines everything into one, and I, I get it, but I just don't think the Mac is there, and I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think so either, and, and I am pretty much fine with it. Yeah, agreed. All right, um, let's talk for a minute about these new iPads Pro. Okay, yes, I'm excited to hear what you think about this. They look great. I mean, th- th- there's really three things to talk about. The the new hardware and what that means and the new um the new keyboard and the new mouse support. Um I guess let's start with the hardware. Um it is the same design externally as the 2018 iPad Pros, but they've added some features. They've got the uh, the lidar um which is a better way of of doing um um you know, uh, of, of assessing the distances and putting in the augmented reality stuff. It's probably going to improve focus for like um, portrait mode. They've added a second camera. They've improved the mics. I can't really get my arms around how much faster the new chip is, though. It's the it's the Z chip. It's the first time yeah. I've ever done that. Mm-hmm. I don't. Are there benchmarks out there yet on it? I, I don't, don't know that they think so. But I think the word on the street is that it is the same CPU, but it's one additional. GPU core, so I don't, I, th- I don't think it's going to be drastically faster. Yeah, I think it's six gigabytes of um of memory, which is an improvement over four. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel to me like something that if you've got the 2018 version, you need to run out and buy the no. new one. In fact, I'm not, I'm not going to upgrade. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of money this week, so yeah. I'm, I'm holding off. You're on all that. set. <laughs> but the if I had an older iPad Pro or or not an iPad Pro, and I was looking to get into one, this is a nice update. I mean, this is kind of what we want, right? That Apple continues to iterate uh, on a frequent basis and not you know, make it something where we have to wait five years to get the new one. Um, and whenever you decide to get on board, you're going to get the latest and greatest. So I, I, I think in general, it's, it's a nice update for hardware. I don't really have any complaints. Mm-mm. The things that's interesting, though, is the new keyboard and the mouse support. So they've made a new... Apple, I always get these names right. There's the smart keyboard. Yes. And that's what this one is called. This is, well, this is now called the magic keyboard. Magic keyboard. Because it, yes. it so it ditches the fabric coverings. It uses the switches from the the new MacBook Air and the 16-inch MacBook Pro. But the big news is it's got that uh sweet, sweet trackpad. Yeah. And they've added trackpad support. Well, I think there's a couple things. It's it's backlit. It has an additional lightning port on it, so you can charge while still having a yeah. lightning port available USB-C. on the device. USB-C. Yeah. I'm sorry. Jeez, I, 
I'm going to get that right, Stephen. At some point. Well, they look the and same, then, almost. It's and, and the device floats on top. The The arm is, you can adjust it from, I believe, 90 to 130 degrees, mm-hmm. which solves a problem that we've had. And you said, like, the better switches. It, it really is a rethinking of the attached keyboard for an iPad. It makes it feel much more like a computer experience. Um, there is a Dr. Drang article that just came up in the last day that made me sad because he was doing the math on... Will this be tipsy or not? And he's convinced it probably will be. <laughs> so, or so I'll, I'll link that in the show notes because you're hanging the keyboard basically. Uh, you're hanging the device, which is quite heavy, over the top of the keyboard. But it seems to me like a really interesting design. I'm I'm super interested in it. And by the way, it works with the existing 2018 iPads Pro. So if yes. you already got one, you can you can get into one of these new keyboards. They're not cheap. What is it? Three hundred and three hundred and fifty dollars respectively. I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah, for the 11 and the 12.9. Yeah, but it looks really interesting, and uh, I think a definite improvement to the iPad attached keyboard. I'm excited about it. Because the new keyboard works with the 2018, I'm not going to update my iPad, but yeah. I've been playing with the trackpad support because it's in the iOS 13.4 betas. Yeah. And so yeah. I put the beta on my iPad because I wanted to try it, and it supports the Magic Mouse 2 and the Magic Trackpad 2, and I have each of those here. And the it really changes the game using iPad OS, where you can very quickly get around, and it, it's very different than the accessibility features we had with iOS 13. This is a a, a big change from that. Yeah, it, it kind of combines. Let's see what you think about this. It, in places, it feels like the Apple TV. You know, where the the focus on the buttons, like it raises and and moves around a little bit, it highlights the UI element you're over really easily actually really like it it's not straight cursor support like we have on the mac it has some ipad flair to it oh i think it's it's really impressive i mean so i i installed it as well i don't have the fancy new keyboard it's not available till may but you know i just talked recently on the show about how i have this logitech mouse um the mouse has just like the keyboard has two bluetooth radio or three bluetooth radios in it so now when I've got my iPad sitting under my iMac, I just push a button on my mouse and my keyboard, and then they're both driving the iPad. Mm -hmm. And it's really great. And I think the idea of rethinking the mouse for the iPad is something very Apple. I mean, this is the kind of stuff when they do it, you're like, yes, this is why I'm a fan of this company. They don't just put a mouse pointer on a tablet and say, okay, we're done. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a round cursor as opposed to, you know, a... um, a pointing arrow, which makes kind of sense because it's a finger equivalent. And I love the way when you go to different interface elements, they highlight to reflect it. I have been shooting a lot of video on the iPad for the photos field guide. Now I have to go back and reshoot a bunch of it because this is going to make screencasting so much more easy for people to understand what you're doing. So I'm going to have to reshoot a bunch, but the, um, it's just really great. And, and I've been running it for, uh, several days now. I've had no problems and things that I expect to happen, happen. Like uh, with the mouse, if you just go down to the the bar at the bottom, what's the name of the, the interface element that you swipe up to go back to the home screen? The home indicator, I believe. If you go to that and you tap on it with the mouse, it does exactly what you expect it to. And, you know, they they really did a good job of kind of thinking through how this can work. And I, uh, I mean, so far, two thumbs up on it. And and what else is exciting for me, Stephen, is this is a point update to iOS 13. Yeah. I could easily have seen this being like the feature that we see in June for the new, you know, for the new year. This is the big thing. 
but this they're just rolling it out in a week. I love it. It really makes me wonder what's coming in 14 later this summer. Yeah. I mean, by the time the show publishes, everybody will have it on their iPad. It's great. Uh, I definitely think everyone, even if you're not iPad first or iPad heavy, you should go check it out just to see what Apple's done because it is such a reimagining of what a cursor can be. It's very impressive. Yeah. And like the idea that like, you know, the, um, the eye beam that you get when you put it in text, it's just an eye here. They don't have the, the serifs on it, but, but it matches the size of the text and it's like, Oh yeah. Why doesn't it always do that? Yeah. You know, the Mac doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I want the Mac to inherit some of this. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's really cool. And I am excited they're doing it. And the we should say the new keyboard trackpad deal is coming out in May. But uh, And if you don't want that, they still sell the regular keyboard cover for the new iPads if you don't want the trackpad for some reason or you don't want to spend yeah. the money because it is really expensive. You could buy yeah. another iPad for that cost. Yeah, you could. I didn't think about that, but, but you're right. But I'm looking forward to trying it. And I think it could really change the game for a lot of people working on the iPad. Because one of my complaints with the iPad, and maybe even more so in 13, because I don't really like some of the text insertion changes they made, is that just doing a lot with text can feel a little clumsy. And now you just have a cursor. And I think it's going to feel a lot faster. Yeah, the iPad is pulling closer to the laptop Mm -hmm. with every year. And like I said, this is a point update. What is coming in June (laughs) if this was a point update? I know. I'm excited to find out. Every time I use my iPad with a bridge keyboard, because it's got that metal kind of space below for your palms, yeah, I always am reaching for a trackpad yeah, on that keyboard, yep. because it just feels like it should have a trackpad. And, the, and now, they have a keyboard with a trackpad. Logitech has one as well. It's for sale on the Apple yeah. store, so you, can, uh, you don't have to spring for the Apple one, but the design of the Apple one, I think, is going to be really spectacular to see. It's like, it's like they brought the iMac G4 back. I feel like it's going to be spectacular good or spectacular bad if it tips over every time you touch it it's not going to be worth it but yeah we well, got to find out yeah. i i don't think i could be wrong but i don't think they've published the weight of it anywhere like yeah. on the website and that makes me think it's not going to tip over if this thing weighs a bunch so we will find out together soon i could even see them putting like some magnets in the bottom you know so if you put it on like anything that's metal oh, it would that'd be awesome you know I don't know. We'll see. But I feel like that's a problem that they must have considered. Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. But that's exciting news. And everybody, uh, if you've got that update to your iPad, if you, it'll work with your, your Apple trackpad. It'll work with any Bluetooth mouse. So just try pairing it and, and checking it out because it is really quite a different experience when you add that pointer. All right. State of the Mac in the books for now. Feels good. Yeah, it does. And it feels good talking about the Mac with some positive uh, vibes. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. been too many negative vibes lately. But anyway, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, you can join the discussion over at talk.macpowerusers.com. Thank you to our sponsors, Clean My Mac X, FreshBooks, Omni, and 1Password. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>